Janine and I kind of grew up in FCBC. Almost, literally. I mean, it's the only church we have known in our adult married lives. So I was 21, Janine was 22. I was still in college. We got married in Iowa, and Janine had a job up here. And, you know, the day after our honeymoon, we came up here and started going to FCBC. I'm 58 now. I was 21 when I started here. Like, we, we've attached ourselves to this body um, in all the beauty and foibles. We've grown up in this church. You know, we came after our honeymoon, which we, we had a destination honeymoon in Galena, Illinois. Um, so, you know, home of Ulysses S. Grant. Of course, we were married on 29th of December, so, you know, everything was closed. <laughs> like, I think even the home of Ulysses S. Grant was closed. Like, nothing was open, but that was our destination honeymoon. And then we came to FCBC, because Janine had been here for six months, and she lived with a group of women. She went to each of their churches. She's like, I think you're really going to like this church. And there was something about FCBC. There was something different. And we've not left though there been opportunities or though like you know not always a fan of the teaching come on let's admit it Uh, (laughs) we we joined a house group uh straight away and this house group was going through a book called uh the mustard seed conspiracy by tom Syme. this is a book that came out of the 80s and One of the things that it talked about was uh, deep community within church. And one of the forms of that deep intentional community was living together. And so in this house group, there was an elderly woman. I say elderly, maybe she was close to my age now. You know, you're thinking back when you're 21. That old woman, like, wait, was she 58? (laughs) But we're younger. But she couldn't sustain the mortgage on her home. She had a large home. And these two couples, the Pesneckers, another couple that was there at the time, Largents, were like, why are we paying rent to a stranger? Why don't we just move in with Ruth? We're reading this mustard seed conspiracy. And so we moved in as a section of a house group and lived in this house together. And we were only married a year. So there was just this really interesting sweetness and beauty in developing those kinds of very, very deep and intense relationships. And the book that we're reading, The Other Half of Church, suggests that brain science tells us love is critical to healthy development. You know, there's there's like over 700 verses with the English word love. And I know the Greek and Hebrew have different words for love but like there's a lot about love it's probably one of the most popular action verbs in the bible it's really really central to uh expressing something about the identity of god that love is so thoroughly um spread throughout scripture says something and jesus says you know loving god and loving neighbor 
that's the radioactive core of the law. Like everything in the law comes out of, you want to melt the, the law down to just a, a really small thing? Love God, love neighbor. There you go. Everything from the law springs from that radioactive core. The core of the law is love. And it's loving God and it's loving one another. And I enjoyed, like many people, Jared's testimony. Like there's something about love in this space that felt like just this taste of heaven. And I think that's what's kept Janine and I here for since 21, 22. Like there's, there's a kind of attachment that we have here in FCBC. Um, and we've talked to people, you know, FCBC for the years we've been here has been a, a passing through space, especially with the university. People come here for a short period of time. They go on. So we've got this FCBC diaspora. Occasionally we'll run into folk. Yeah, I haven't been able to find another church like this. I've heard that from multiple people. It's like, okay, there's something very sweet happening here. And um, I remember one of the early sermons that I heard, a guy named Ken Kellenberg was the pastor at that time. He's in the middle of a sermon. This guy named Pete stands up and starts shouting at Ken, middle of the sermon. And Pete's just like, or Ken's just like, Pete, I hear you. You need to sit down now. <laughs> this was when, like, in we were in Regent High School, or probably 200 people, 200 people in the congregation at that time. <laughs> that someone would just speak out, and we were debriefing that a little bit with this other couple, and and um, before I could even say, wasn't that awkward or whatever, um, Dave Largent's like, isn't that a beautiful sign of this church, that people like Pete feel free to come and and you know speak up? It doesn't mean that they're Need, uh, isn't healthy boundaries or need for correction or any of that stuff because that all happened but like this is a place for folk who may not have made it past one or two Sundays in another church before being sort of you know politely pressured out or whatever for for Dave it was like this is a sign of God in this church <laughs> that they've got folk who just feel like uh, you know they don't fit really in a lot of places but they'll just come with all their stuff and um, you know present that and and this church has this weird history of these little intentional communities growing out of it. We heard when we first came here of something called the Vilas House. It was in this neighborhood on Vilas. A bunch of people, young people, moved in together who had this view of kind of the 1040 window before it was the 1040 window or whatever, that they just loved the idea of God's gospel going out to places where it had never been. They're going to live together in this house. Um, and we've had, you know, the place that Janine and I were when we moved into Ruth's house and Violet's house, big, big house, uh, mustard seed. Like it's this sort of breeding ground for these kinds of powerful bonds but as Janine and I have been involved with or connected to different intentional Christian communities that actually live together, live in proximity, it's also this breeding ground for amazing heartache. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's that 
these intentional communities tend to draw people who are younger and more mobile, and so they're most able to live together, but probably least prepared for it, you know, least mature. So the people who are drawn to these communities are either hyper-idealists, they're not good people to live with, <laughs> or they're just, you know, they're just still on a very early end of the maturity journey. Um, you know, as I'm reading the chapter on said love, and he's saying, you know, healthy church is about <clears throat> attachment. And I think I'm, I'm, or networks of, you know, healthy attachments. I think I, I'm modifying that a little bit. A healthy church is about networks of healthy attachments between unhealthy people. <laughs> like, it'd be great if only the healthy people got together and created intentional community. It's just not the case. And Janine and I have felt hurt when, with you know, intense community with others and found that all of your junk gets uh, magnified in intentional community. Like it all comes out. Like marriage, you know? It's just like you get into these really beautiful fulfilling, healthy bonds of love and attachment, and you get your heart broken. <laughs> and um, I don't think as young people we were really thinking about uh, attachment with broken people. Or even our own brokenness, not like it was always the other person's brokenness, but like that expectation, oh yeah, Jesus didn't come for healthy people. Jesus didn't come for emotionally healthy people, spiritually healthy people. Jesus loves sickos. And like, so those are the people who crowd around Jesus. And it's like, and then Jesus is like, I want you to love one another. Oh, great. Yes. Wait, you are an idiot. <laughs> no, you are. Love one another like I've loved you. Like, how can we do that? This idea of church being a hospital and Jesus saying, I want you to form really deep, dangerous bonds of attachment between other sick people. I want you to love each other the, the way that I've loved you. It's, a, it's this catch-22, you know, healthy attachments and and the authors of the book would say, to become a healthy person, you need to experience this kind of bond, this kind of love. You need to attach yourself. Like you cannot grow as a person in isolation. Might even say the primary way of experiencing the love of God, oh, how God loves us, is through these kinds of attachments with unhealthy people. So the catch-22 is, not you can't be healthy unless you love people deeply. You can't love people deeply unless you get really, really involved in their lives. And you're going to have to get close to sickness <laughs> when you get close to people. It's just like, how, so, you know, we've got this choice. Um, isolate yourself or superficial bonds 
And we've all experienced that, like, oh, we're polite to one another, but we don't really know one another. That's safe. Or get really, really close and um, become attached to wounded people who are likely going to wound you. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in the, in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. That's the invitation with church. Like to have your heart wrung because you've attached yourself to one another. Why? Well, brain science says you stop really growing any sense of identity or whatever when you stop loving. I think another reason is because he said so. Like because Jesus said so, like maybe we should do it, even though it's hard, even though it can be really painful and messy. Um, and some of that is learning boundaries. Like it's not like this, oh, let anyone do anything to you, which, you know, makes it complicated. It's not like there are no rules in healthy love. It's just that it's going to be messy because the people that you're going to be attaching yourself to are messy. And by the way, so are you. Um, in in 2010, I did a sabbatical, and Janine and I, along with Laura, went to visit different intentional Christian communities. And one of those intentional Christian communities uh, was the Old Order Mennonites in Lena, Wisconsin. Really fascinating, beautiful set of families, agricultural families, who've attached themselves really deeply to one another. And so they run their own little school just uh, up through eighth grade. And uh, one of the kids born in the community and who entered the school was born deaf. And so the, the intuitive thing for this community was, well, then everyone learns sign language. Like, why would we ask this person to have their own translator? First of all, it's impractical. We're small community. Let, like, let's just all learn sign language. How are we going to be how are we going to benefit from this person's wisdom if we don't learn sign language? And how are they going to benefit if we can't communicate? So guess what? We all learn sign language. Like that kind of attachment. How beautiful. Uh, went to visit the Jesus people downtown Chicago. Really interesting community. A bunch of former drug addicts and homeless folk living together. Talk about sick people you know, being in community with one another. Jesus people. Really, really interesting. Really beautiful in a lot of ways. You know, they, they ran, and maybe still do, a roofing business. 
several homeless shelters. They care for the elderly. They have 100 elderly living in their place. But with the Old Order Mennonites and the Jesus people, really messy stuff. Unhealthy stuff, too. Because uh, I was talking to <coughs> the guy who is the head of the household where we were staying in the Old Order Mennonite. He said, I was asking him about the divisions between the Amish and Mennonites, like they break off from one another. He says, yeah, that's pretty regular. In fact, uh, I don't know if he's talking about their community or one adjacent to them, but like it was over whether or not we could use incubators for uh, chickens. That was what we split over. Now we remain cordial or whatever, but like that becomes the thing that's the hill to die on. And so we split over that. How unfortunate. Of course, Jesus people have been plagued with all sorts of toxic leadership. And, you know, it's just the stuff that comes with the deep, deep bonds that form in these places. Um, I think some of it is just we see this picture in Acts. This group of people like let's just put all our stuff in the middle and then take out what we need and see how that, that works. They had this really sweet fellowship, you know. They're devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer and the apostles' teaching. and Everyone contributed what they had and took what they were needed. I was talking about this a week ago, Thursday, with the university group, um, talking about supply chain justice and how economics works in the Christian community. One of the students, you know, kind of like Doug might do in the middle of it, sounds like communism, he said. <laughs> I said, yeah, I wonder if when Karl Marx said from each according to their ability to each according to their need, if someone said, sounds like the Christian church, <laughs> only, you know, with, with the Christian church, it's voluntary, right? People choose into that. I think my recommendation for those who have this desire to uh, live in intentional community, be very careful. It's not for everybody. Like, I don't think that's the norm or the standard. Uh, in fact, the Jesus people, I was interviewing the guy, one of the founders, he's like, we kill idealists. Like, they just come here to die because <laughs> they find it doesn't work in an idealistic world because none of us are ideal. <laughs> and so anyway, we see this beautiful community in the book of Acts and we see Jesus say, I want you to do that. One of the things, this is a, a slight aside that I feel like is uh, working against healthy communities of love in the church is... Um, empire right the this quest for conquest and stuff in fact let me read uh, ephesians 6 uh, 10 through 12 the armor of god passage i think paul is um thinking about the roman empire here he says finally be strong in the lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think Paul's talking about the church's struggle with empire. Because the church is about the increase of Christ's government and his shalom. And that's always going to be a front to the human kingdom of empire. The increase of Christ's government and Christ's shalom that's fueled by how we love one another. You know, here the apostles creating this different economic system where like, okay, there's a group being left out. The widows, essentially uh, single moms unemployed. How are we going to solve this? They're being neglected as we're managing this as a community. We're managing the... Let's give the people who come from that neglected group all the purse strings and let them decide how to manage the money and hope that those of us who've been intentionally excluding them or unconsciously excluding them don't get the raw end of the deal. We'll just trust you. That kind of economic system. You know, between uh, March 2020 and November 2021, 10 individuals' wealth grew by $15,000 per second during that period of time. Same period of time, 160 million more people were forced into poverty. The concentration of wealth into fewer and fewer hands is the economic force of empire. Economic force of the kingdom is centrifugal, right? It pushes its way out to the edges. The economic force of empire is collecting it into fewer and fewer spots. Um, and the enemy is not Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. There is a demonic stronghold, I believe, called empire that's working against the beauty of the church creating an increase of Christ's government and Christ's peace. Um, there's a, a version, I think it's the NRSV, calls it uh, the cosmic power of this present darkness. That's the description of empire, this demonic force that's at work that, that we struggle against. We fight against this thing. Um, and revival tends to be marked by the church coming out against empire. Revival tends to be a surge in the increase of Christ's government and Christ's shalom. And so the Welsh revival located itself amongst among some of the most excluded uh, and marginalized people in the coal miners. Azusa Street, uh, a black pastor, you know, the, the origins of the Pentecostal church come out of a little congregation with a black pastor who saw the power of God 
And within months, they are sending people out. So they've got this massive thing happening. They're sending people out to places like Africa. And, and this preaching, first of all, is located amongst the excluded. And then the preaching is like, you need to free yourself from the colonial powers and understand uh, that you know God loves marginalized normal people. And I would say that, that the African independent church movement, which is a movement that happened in the probably early 1900s, but you know accelerated, there was a revival in Africa in the 30s, comes out of this Azusa Street revival and eventually the independence of these African countries. You know, we don't call it Rhodesia anymore. I think that's part of revival, this sort of separation from the empire that colonized these countries being preached by these normal people who come out of this Azusa Street congregation. Uh, Jesus people, you know, they called it the establishment. That's how they, you know, framed empire. And they started, well, some of them started this organization called the Christian World Liberation Front. <laughs> Bunch of Jesus people, Christian World Liberation Front. And they, they launched this magazine called Right On. <laughs> Christian magazine, Right On. It's got to have the ex- exclamation point too. Right On. And openly encouraging Christians to protest the Vietnam War and racism. Like there's revival happening and there's this sort of outcry because the church gets embedded in empire. Empire is a, it, it's a spirit, right? It's a demonic spirit and it's a posture. And ministries and churches can think sometimes this, this desire for biggering comes out of that place. Sort of like, oh, the increase of our ministry or our church is equal to the increase of Christ's government and Christ's shalom. Sometimes, not all the time. And so uh, in Revelation, you know, the, the church comes out of the marginalized community of the Jewish people who were conquered and oppressed. And then they start bringing all these Gentiles into the church. And these Gentiles were part of the machinery of empire, a lot of them. And the great ingathering included people who were, you know, born into and part of the Roman Empire. So in Revelation, we hear Jesus saying, come out, my people. Because I think that the new converts were bringing some empire into the church with them. In uh, Revelation 18.3. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's talking about Babylon, which is code for empire. You know, uh, Roman Empire and Babylon were equated, but really it's this spirit of empire that Babylon is, that the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Essentially, the politicians and the merchants, the the politicians and the CEOs got in bed with empire. That's not a place I want to find my church. 
come out of her, my people, come out of empire. It was infecting the church, and it works against this idea of creating these healthy bonds that sometimes form these economies that don't work in, in empire, or, you know, create... Empire loves the division of people. It, loves a ca- it needs a caste system. You need to figure out who's only three-fifths human so that they can do all the labor for free or next to nothing. We need patriarchy and we need racism in order to know whom we can build empire on the backs of. And uh, we, we thrive on broken shalom, not loving your enemies. Those are the things that, that infect the spirit of empire. And, you know, I feel it in me. I don't think I would ever create uh, Scott Bessenecker Ministries. But every time I see a person's name followed by ministries, I think there's dangerous possibilities for empire there. That spirit. Um, You know, there have been good people, but when it's located in this sort of individual or set of individuals is about the expanse it's about the increase of their kingdom and their version of shalom like those are just things that i believe true attachment and love tends to work against we call one another out that's what we're wanting to build so my experience with deep bonds of love and how they are formed uh, what have I got? Like five. No, no. There are three things. No, four things. <laughs> My four-point sermon. Okay, what is it that builds this thing? Joy. I got that from the book. <laughs> <laughs> like just enjoying one another builds love it builds this sort of counter empire thing um and i can just think of several times that i'm laughing till i'm crying with people like christian Ezel or like we're just sitting out and we are just enjoying one another and laughing at stuff laughter and joy i think about our churches you know retreats or whatever Thing that stand, I don't remember any teaching that happened in those places. I remember, okay, maybe because we knew. I remember the talent show. That's what I remember. Dancing, like joy, Sven and Oli jokes. So joy, you want to build healthy attachment and love? How about just laughing together? Number two, food. Kind of serious about that, or like life together stuff. You know, Jesus didn't leave us with a creed that we repeat. He left us with a meal. When you get together, I want you to get things right with one another and then sit down and have a meal. Talk about me. Talk about what I've done. That's the only thing I need you to do regularly. Just sit down over a table 
and have a meal together. Remember my death and resurrection. Before you sit down, sort stuff out between you sick, unhealthy people. And then sit down, have a meal with me. And I remember in our, you know, little community, meals were hours-long activities. You just sit around the table. I hope you don't need to do a lot in the evening, because, like, you just sit there and talk and talk and laugh and, you know, clean up. It took a long time versus, you know, you can eat a meal in 15 minutes. You could not in community. Like, it's something about food that draws us out. Um, you know, there, there's also weekend retreats. I know it's uh, probably, it should not be for everyone to live in community. I recommend weekend retreats, though. <laughs> You know, short doses. There's something about waking up with a group of people and groping for the coffee and the tea or whatever in the morning and just having that unhurried space where you're just waking up in community, all coming into the kitchen and with the nonverbal wakers and the chatty wakers. I don't know. There's magic. There's magic in weekend retreats. If you've got a house group, you should plan a weekend retreat. Um, chatting after church. That's part of this. So, you know, joy, food slash life together. Part of life together is the, the lingering after church. I know it is really hard for the kids. Except for those who really love running around like they can tolerate it but i remember you know our kids like when are we going we're just being community <laughs> like i don't remember the sermon but i remember that conversation we had <laughs> like that's a space for love development so joy food slash life together vulnerability sharing the things that are hard sharing your failures it's not it's not really gathering together to talk about who we hate or who we disagree with or like let's have a gripe session about those other people i admit there's a deliciousness in that like there's a sort of oh I'm just getting amped up and you're helping to amp me up and I'm helping to amp you up and there's a sort of sweetness about it. But it, it's hollow. The relationship that it forms is hollow. While there's a kind of thrill to it, it's not what I'm talking about with regard to just being vulnerable with one another. Here's the character flaw I'm struggling most with. I've seen that kind of thing open up love between people. Well, you, you shared that story or that pain or that failure with me in a, in a way that honors me and that trusts me. And that creates the beauty of community. And I've experienced that multiple times here in this body. Like someone's just talking about their heartache or their struggle. And like that creates this love so joy food 
vulnerability, and ministry together. I think last week in the testimony time I talked about English Corner or Open Door. Being in the crucible of ministry together to others. It's not just about community. In fact, Bonhoeffer says more or less, community for the sake of community kills community. If your community is just about the community, it's going to (laughs) die. There's got to be some sort of outward working to this for it to be healthy. And so being in this sort of ministry, crucible together with others and failing together together, and seeing um, stuff happen together. And we've been on mission trips and this church has done kind of mission trips. That can sometimes bring that sort of ministry. I like to think about um, ministry together as learning to uh, hear well. I think you pray like you've never prayed when you're in the thick of a really difficult ministry. To love well, forced to love people that are hard to love, and die well. Supposed you, you die to yourself. You know, love well, hear well, die well. That's what happens when a group of people come together to do ministry. All right, I'm. I could have stopped to let you talk about each of these, but instead I want to end so that you can linger here. I've got some questions. I want you to find a few people, and so write these questions down. This could be Zoom meeting, too, for those who aren't here. A funny incident, no matter how long ago, or a joke. Is there a humorous incident that you would like to relate? That is fuel for love. Um, Some kind of anecdote about doing life with or eating with others. Something about a really special meal that you've had. And again, doesn't have to be, doesn't have to have a moral to it. Just talk about, we had dinner with these guys the other night. And then we watched snowboarding together, and that was really fun. You know, just talk about a meal or doing life together. If you've had experience with community, maybe that becomes a here's the heartache piece and here's the glory piece, and share a little bit about that. If you feel like you can, how about a vulnerability? You're going to start with a physical vulnerability. I've got weak knees or whatever. You know, this is a really difficult thing for me. Or what's uh, what's a character flaw that you've noticed about yourself? You willing to share that with someone and trust that to someone? And then maybe a, a memory about doing ministry with others. So, a funny incident, or a joke, even if it's a bad one, go ahead and share it, because that can build community too. Doing life with others, having a meal with others, if you've got something that stands out, a vulnerability, physical or character related, and a memory about doing ministry with others. So, Linger. 
you know, sidle up next to someone or a few people and talk about these things. I don't believe there are any announcements that I'm aware of, so I'm going to send you out and into the fellowship time. Lord, thanks for the ways that you've loved me in the skin of other people. Teach me to do that. And I confess it's hard um, because of my own junk or the junk of others to love well. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Help us, please, to love when we're not feeling very lovely inside or when we're loving someone who's obviously not feeling very lovely inside because we're sensing it and we're rubbing up against and poking a sore spot that we didn't know was there. And then it bites us, and we're like, where did that come from? And I don't want to talk with them. Lord, help us to love even in those places. Let us be instruments of your love to someone today, to someone in this next 20 minutes. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord and one another.